Today, I had a great chat with Erin Long. Erin Long is the president and founder of Worldwide Speech. She is a speech language pathologist, and I came upon her business because I do a lot of consultations with parents who are living abroad and parents who are seeking specialized speech therapy services for their children. And they're having a hard time finding them, whether they're living abroad because they're doing that for work or whether they're a family that's just living abroad. And so we collaborated together on a client, and that's how I found out all about Erin and the great work she's doing as the president and founder of World wide speech. Erin has lived abroad and she also provides therapy services here in the United States. So she has that idea of what it's like to live abroad and she can really help parents who want teletherapy services for their students but are struggling to find that in their current area. And so today we talk all about teletherapy tips and strategies and it's really great information because Erin has been providing teletherapy for about 10 years. So I've been doing it for about a year now just due to the global pandemic, but Erin has some really great tips and strategies to share with us whether we're providing teletherapy here in the United States or whether we have a broader scope and we're helping families that are living in other countries. Let's get started. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on episode 19 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin, and I am here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have Erin Long with us. Thanks for joining us, Erin. Thank you, Rose. It's so nice to see you again and speak with you again. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on. We met kind of virtually online. You have a really, really interesting kind of backstory, and I'm excited to share the services that you offer and just kind of how you got into doing what you do. So can you tell us a little bit about you, your company, and your journey? Sure. Thanks again. So yeah, we are Worldwide Speech, and uh, the company did start off as solely a speech therapy company. But to back up a little bit, I have lived abroad a number of times because of my husband's job. And every time I went abroad, of course, other Americans and even sometimes locals needed speech therapy for their children. You know, for Americans, speech therapy seems like, you know, it it exists and it's available. But in other places around the world, rehabilitative services just aren't quite... Uh, to the level that we have in the United States. So people who need a speech pathologist, you know, were quite eager to work with me because they know that not only do we have the services here, but we do the training. So they, when they get an American therapist, they've had somebody who's had rigorous training. So, you know, that was me. And then finally, after, you know, seeing kids and having to leave post and then going to another country and leaving again, I decided there has to be a better way to do this. And people had started doing online therapy. And I said, that is the answer. That's what we have to do. And we have to make this work well, because the expat community is huge. The English speaking population around the world is enormous. Yeah. And there are so many kids we can reach through online therapy. And that's how we got to being worldwide speech. And we've grown from speech therapy to OT, occupational therapy, to 
special education teachers. So now we're just basically a special ed company and we work with everybody abroad, primarily abroad. And, um, you know, we have a lot of unique situations and we do what it takes to get the kids what they need. That's really great that you offer that service. I just know, um, and that's the reason we we met online is that I talked to a lot of parents who kind of live here in the United States, but also are living abroad. And even some professional consultations that I've done, because sometimes speech therapists don't always have the same level of training, or there's just not that accessibility of therapists, especially when you're abroad. So parents are always really, you know, wanting services, specialized services. And I think it's really great that you have that in your background. So when did you start providing teletherapy? Because I'm <laughs> I'm the kind of person that started providing teletherapy, you know, when the global pandemic started. So March 2020, although I really love it now, and we are going to start kind of expanding our scope of who we're offering speech therapy services for, I really love it. I love it as a way to be able to help and reach out and do that for others. But I, you know, I think it's really cool that you've been doing this before, you know, kind of the rest of the world was like, yeah, this is a really great way to be able able to support our students. So when did you when did you kind of get into that? Because I know I remember where when was it? There was somebody at Kent State University. That's where I got my master's and they started this whole group for teletherapy because a long time ago it just wasn't a thing and it was kind of new and emerging. And I know we're going to talk about teletherapy and all the work that Ash has done and we have done as a, a profession to try to reach people not only abroad, but I know that people here in the United States, if they're living in an area that's very rural even, it's hard to get to therapy. And now with the pandemic, the teletherapy is a really, really viable option for a lot of students. So when did you start providing teletherapy? We got the company up and running, I would say fully by around July, 2010. It was a company. Oh, that's great. And so, yeah, we were, when we started it was a little hard to tell people, yeah, we're doing this online and yes, it works. <laughs> right. People were quite hesitant. It was, you know, it was 10 years ago and I knew it was working and I knew Asha had put the research into it because there are so many people living out in rural areas, like you said. Mm-hmm. And that I think was the reason Asha wanted to make online therapy a, a real venue for therapy because you know, we're just never going to reach everybody who's living in a small population, you know, that's not accessible. Also, when you need like an experienced therapist that might have a specialty like stuttering or cleft palate or something like that, they are fewer and far between. So, you know, we're not going to even find those in every big city. So I think Asha recognized that this was a viable way of doing things. So, yeah, It has just changed so much, I would say, over the last five years where my first clients, I was proving to them that this was going to (laughs) work. Right. It went a few years and word, you know, word of mouth got around and people said, oh, my friend's doing this with their kid. I want to do it too because it seems to be working. And I went from this is how it works and this is what it will look like. And it really does work. Yes. Right. We'll be very comfortable with it and you can be a part of it to, yeah, this is what people want. And they, they know it's um, being done. They know a lot of people do it and they are comfortable with it. Kids don't think twice about it. So yeah, I've seen tremendous growth and, you know, it, I, I'm, there's nothing about the pandemic that I think is positive right. that people have said, 
you know, we have got to find a way to reach patients, to reach students. And I'm glad that this was already established and that people could just join when they needed to. Yes. I mean, I do think that's the thing with the pandemic is that a lot of people are accessing computers for a whole host of reasons. Even if you need to go to the primary care physician, you know, they're not having you come in, they're having you log on. And I think that that kind of acceptance where I'm sure 10 years ago, you were probably doing a lot more parent education and even maybe for providers, that this is something that is a way that you can really help your students. So I think that I can't imagine the growth that you've seen over the past 10 years. Yes. Yes. And now there's just so many more probably materials and things that are interactive. And, you know, you're probably not reinventing the wheel as much as far as therapy materials and things like that, as far as serving your students. But I'm sure the growth has really been phenomenal. And it's really hard too for speech therapists. I think the one thing for parents too to understand, and I know you'll probably get into this a little bit, but, you know, with us, being speech therapists, we do have to hold a license. If you're in the United States, that is a whole other thing where I can serve students who live in Ohio through teletherapy. There's different rules as far as who can serve who as a therapist. And when you get into living abroad, that's completely different too. And I know you're going to talk a little bit about ASHA, which is our national organization, because they have some rules and just have shown that telepractice, which is the way that a lot of people are being served right now for speech therapy, there's a lot of inter showing that it is a really viable option for students that can really help them. So can you speak to us a little bit about, you know, that it is helpful, that there's been some research out to say that, you know, it's really helping our students? Right. Yeah. It is a huge part of ASHA now. And if you go to the ASHA convention or if you do online continuing education through ASHA, you'll see that there are loads of studies and loads of courses on how to get started in telepractice. In the last five years, we've had several university students who we've trained to do online therapy. So universities are also seeing this and they know that it could be something that their students are going to encounter and they would like to have them prepared for that. So it is definitely, it has just become so widely acceptable. And ASHA does have their regulations but then each state has its regulations. And then when you get into seeing kids abroad, well, that's just a whole different <laughs> ballgame. But it has worked so well. You know, I have a client who lives, I'm not going to tell you where they live, but it's a rather remote location. And her child has a very uncommon um, syndrome. And she said, this is, this is just amazing. You know, I... She gave up work. She gave up everything because she thought she was going to be the sole educator for this child. And she's gone from, you know, having online speech therapy to online support systems. Her son does online guitar, I think, you know, and so it <laughs> opened up the world to them and also made life a lot easier because she's got a child with mobility issues. So, you know, it's just convenient. Right. And so many people do see this as convenient. So many kids see this as a way to make speech therapy private. By the time they become teenagers, they don't necessarily (laughs) want everybody that they're getting therapy. It has just answered so many questions. It has actually, it's been the solution to so many problems where 
you know, perhaps people who wanted to go abroad because of jobs, it's not a viable option for something mm-hmm. like, you know, their kid doesn't have the R sound. Oh, geez. Yeah. You know, but, mm-hmm. but that's really an issue. I have right. had people contact me saying my company won't let me go abroad because my child has an IEP. Oh, wow. And oh, that's very interesting. I've never heard that before. Right. Yeah. Because wow. they, you know, companies, government organizations, mm-hmm. they don't want you to turn around and say, hey, you're the reason my child is not sure. doing well. So yeah, we've had those situations where uh, if a family is trying to get abroad, we we go ahead and do the whole thing where we say, okay, let's let's meet the child. Let's make sure that they're appropriate for online mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. And that's never really a question for me mm-hmm. anymore, but right. it does satisfy what, what government organizations and what private companies want to know and see so that they can send the person abroad and they can know that they are not making the family forfeit services for the child. Wow. And that has to be really, I'm sure parents are like, wow, this is a great service because that's really hard. I think too, like talking about your client living in a remote area, that a lot of times I just had a mom on who is a professional in the autism world, but she also has two autistic sons. And I know that it can feel very isolating for families if they have a child who has a disability and maybe they can't participate in all the different things. Like you were talking about guitar lessons. You know, sometimes that's really hard for parents, depending on where you live. Even here in the United States, you know, where I live, there's a lot of opportunities to do sensory-friendly movies and sensory-friendly story time. But if you're living in an area that's more remote, I know that that can feel really, really isolating. So that's probably a really nice touch point. We've talked a lot about when you're providing teletherapy, especially as a school-based therapist, because I'm a school-based therapist three days a week, is that you do get more interaction with families. It may not always be the parents, but you know, you get these touch points of this ongoing communication with parents and families, which can be really, really nice because they can learn more about therapy, how they can support it across the home environment. Right. And it probably feels they feel less isolated during that time because they are able to see you, they're able to see, you know, what you guys are working on. And that's probably really nice to know that their child is getting that type of support. Yes. And I really do think that. That's been kind of an unexpected outcome of teletherapy is that a lot of parents were sitting next to their child making, you know, there was fears, oh, they're going to turn off the computer. They're going to do, you know, something they shouldn't. But first of all, that that just hasn't happened. And <laughs> right. years I've been doing this. This just seems very natural to children. But the point is that the parents are sitting there. They know what's going on. They know what skill they can work on with the child and they become confident. And the child knows also that mom and dad know what's going on. Yeah. So it's not sort of that older fashioned tradition where we take the kids into a room. We do, we support everything that needs to happen so that they can be successful with a task. Mm-hmm. But mom and dad can't recreate that. But in this situation, you see a lot more of that where the parents themselves can step in and support their child across the home, like you said. 
That's really nice because I talk about that a lot, just being able to plan for that generalization piece. And this is such a nice way to embed for generalization. I know that when I was starting to provide teletherapy when the pandemic started, that it was kind of fun for me because I was getting to meet so-and-so's sibling or so-and-so's grandma and grandpa because it may not always be the parent. I had worked with a lot of people who were still working or you know, now everybody's kind of working from home, it seems, but they may be in another room or the office. And I think it too probably facilitates a lot of independence with the student. I, you know, part of ABA speeches, we have a private practice and so we provide teletherapy. And it's nice to see some of the students, they might have a parent that helps them get on, but some of the students I'm seeing for different reasons and they're able to engage in the computer and they don't need somebody that's there all the time to help them. And so it's kind of nice because they feel really independent with the entire process. And then something that we've been doing at ABA speeches creating, and I know we're going to talk about parent kind of guidance too, creating a shared Google form with parents so that they understand, you know, if it's a student that has less complex needs, you know, what we went over in the session, or even if the parent is there, we do have students we're serving too with autism. If the parent is there, we have a little blurb about what we worked on in the session just to have that ongoing communication. Because I know I have three kids of my own who are typically developing, but even if I take them to the doctor and the doctor gives me information... I feel like even though I was really there, I completely forget all those different things. So our parents have said like, hey, we really love that shared document. As simplistic as that may sound, it's been really, really nice to have a running log. And then a lot of the students that we see do have autism. So we, you know, get permission and we share that with other team members like ABA providers and things like that, just so everybody's kind of in board of what we're doing in communication. So I'm sure you can speak to that, like, you know, having that peace and guidance with parents has probably been really helpful Right. And we share a similar note system. When it's a weekly situation or, you know, twice a weekly or even more that the parents see us, I think they get pretty comfortable with it. But we do have a lot of kids that do their online therapy by themselves. So Mm -hmm. we make sure we reach out to parents. And um, that's just a, I think that's just becoming a piece of therapy that's more understood now amongst therapists that if if we don't communicate with the parents, we might have a kid who's in therapy two times or three times longer than they need to be. Right. Yeah. So personally for me as a therapist, but I know I'm not the only therapist <laughs> by far who um, is making sure we talk to parents on a regular basis. And in a private practice, we sort of have a little more flexibility with time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we just catch up with a parent real quick. Right. Uh, or the parent can tell us ahead of time what's happening with the child. Oh, you know, so-and-so is on vacation this week. Um, <laughs> right. Grumpy. But we didn't want to miss our speech. <laughs> right. That kind of thing. So in, it is it is a little bit different in, um, in private practice. But across the board, I I find that people are extremely receptive to it and it's working amazingly well. I don't think 15 years ago we would have thought this is how we are going to do things. And nobody expected a pandemic or where we were going to have to do it this way. So again, I'll say, I'm so glad the systems were already set up. <laughs> yes. I, I remember logging in March 2020 when one of the big ASHA providers put on a conference that was an all-day workshop. I think they even offered it free. It was really, really nice. Mm-hmm. And it was all about teletherapy. And there were 7,000 people. Wow. Why? 
that was just live. I was like, oh my gosh, I've done... I My company is a national approved CE provider and we do live presentations. I think the most live I've ever had was maybe a thousand, but I was like, whoa, 7,000 wow. people, 7,000 speech therapists want this information, need this information to be able to support their students. So no, there was no cl- inkling that we were going to be thrown into this world. But I, I, I've been amazed at how therapists and teachers and just everybody and parents too, because I've been on the other end of that, helping my own children (laughs) with their lessons. And I'm like, oh my gosh, time to go back. But it's really, we've all had to really pivot. And it's been inspiring to see how the field has been able to to help like that. And I love that talking about, you know, in private practice, that's why I kind of, you know, like talking with you when we met online is that, you know, part of our business is seeing students privately, which I really love because it's easier to have that ongoing communication with parents versus in the school. And the school system, it's a little bit harder. There's more barriers. You're not automatically going to see the students or a student's parents, but you know, you can set up and embed those. We obviously do progress reports and we do IEP meetings and all those different things. But that is one of the pros of private is that you do automatically get a little more access to parents, families, and it's a little bit easier to have that ongoing communication piece, which we know is going to lend itself to making that generalization a little bit easier and all those things too. So that's probably a really rewarding experience to be able to help people like that. Love that. So let me ask you a question because I know I've been doing a lot of parent... The BCBA in me has been doing a lot of consultations. I have, you know, kind of an online presence now, the podcast. And so I get a lot of people that reach out either abroad or around the United States and want to just know like, hey, how can I help my child increase their communication skills? And I've gotten really adept at working with families in different time zones from countries (laughs) I can't even pronounce or remember, you know, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, you name it. Like I've talked to professionals and provided consultations and trainings and things like that, which I love. I really love being able to connect with people that are really, really far away. I think that's a really cool part of just having started this business. So how do you deal with... How do you deal with time zones and keeping everything straight? And I know that's got to be a struggle because oftentimes I know that I do some early morning things and that's a late time for a lot of the student or parents and students that I'm, I'm talking with. So how, how do you deal with that just logistically? that's got to be tough. It, it can be tricky. I won't lie. I do ask for flexibility with my therapists. And, you know, every therapist gives me a time block that they can work. Some are full-time, some are part-time, and some have to work early in the morning. Some are willing to work at night. So I do have to look for a little bit of flexibility with my therapists. And that's pretty much how we do it. We we do not turn people away because of their time zones. Mm-hmm. And there have been a couple times where I found, gosh, nobody can, nobody wants that time. And, you know, sometimes I just have to do it because right. the child has to be seen. And that's a commitment we've made as a company because I have lived abroad too. I I understand the limitations of having your kids in international schools or having your kids in foreign schools where they simply cannot get what they need in terms of support. So we, like I said, my therapists work. I have therapists working all the time and we do make it happen. I don't think we've ever turned anyone away. 
That's nice. Yeah. yeah. That's really great to be able to offer that. Because I know even just here in the United States, I was think I was on a podcast. I was on somebody else's podcast and, you know, they got the time wrong. It was just kind of a little bit of a mix up and then a little hiccup. It's hard to keep all of those things straight. But just because I've been doing this only probably the past three years talking to people literally all over the globe, I think you kind of get really cognizant of making sure you're saying, okay, this is Eastern time for me, you know, like making right. sure where are you again? Like making sure that you have a really good schedule. And I'm sure your providers all have their know what clients they're working with and what time zone they're in and all those different considerations to think right. about. Right. And there are several tools we use that are reliable. There are there are online tools that convert the time for you. Mm-hmm. So you're not making you're not having to make any judgment calls that way. There are a number of way of ways to do that. And yes, all my therapists have to be aware of that. Yeah. The the biggest challenge to this day, and I've been doing this for a while, is when the time changes because some countries change time. Some countries don't have a time change. Some countries, their time difference is on half hour, not on the full hour. Wow. So, so yeah, there are a number of tools out there you can use. And if you're, you have therapists want to talk about that, I'm happy to put something together to help therapists with that or anybody who's working with kids abroad because it can, <laughs> it can get tricky yeah. and it's a lot to hold in your brain. Absolutely. So, so it's just better if you have a tool that says, it, you're going to see them at this time in your location and they're going to see you at that time in their location. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you can, if you fill out the form, maybe you can, we can include that in the show notes. For every episode, yes, we I have show notes. And I think that I would like that tool too when somebody contacts me and wants to talk and then well, I'm running you, like... It's just it's, like um, you need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very important because those are kind of the logistical things as far as too teletherapy, right? There's a couple little logistical things that once you get used to it and that's just part of your therapeutic process or if you're the parent and you're listening, these are just some little things that you don't want to be a barrier to your child accessing those types of services. So that's really, really great. And something I'll probably need, I actually got contacted. This is really cool, actually. It was probably a week or two ago on LinkedIn where I talked to a lot of people over there and it was somebody that I used to work with a very, very long time ago here at the Cleveland Clinic. It used to be called the Center for Autism. Now it's called the Learner School. And this person was a one-on-one therapist in that school. And now she is living abroad in Japan and does a lot of different advocating and works with students with autism and helps supports parents and really helps support people who are living abroad too, which I thought was really interesting. So she asked me to be on an autism panel that's going to be aired for people who are living in Japan. And I thought that was really cool to be able to help people in that way. So you never know who you're going to meet and who you're going to be able to help and all of that. So I think that's a really, really cool. I'm excited about that. But I think that time converter will be uh, come in handy. So I'm excited to learn about that. So we've talked about a lot of really great stuff. Tell us again what services you offer. So you offer speech therapy and then what other services do you offer to supplement speech therapy as well? Okay, so we have yeah, speech therapy, occupational therapy, reading intervention, special education teachers that teach. They do as much as just tutoring to being the teacher for a child who perhaps can't keep up in the classroom or needs specialized Uh, instructions. So those teachers do everything from tutoring a child 
and helping helping them with their homework to actually being their math teacher or their literacy teacher. Okay. And then uh, we do the IEP equivalents for schools and for families and for companies that are sending their people abroad. I think that's everything. Oh, that's really nice. So IEP development for families that potentially are then moving abroad, because I'm sure that is a very different and maybe I don't really know much about that. Like the paperwork is probably different or maybe not as detailed, like living abroad. Oh, Do they? Because yeah, in right. the United States, an IEP is a legal document. Sure. But it's not abroad. <laughs> it yeah. loses all of that when you go abroad. Mm-hmm. But if you can work with this, the schools to say, what are, what accommodations can you make? Mm-hmm. What accommodations might we suggest and help you develop? And that can get the ball rolling for a child so that they don't walk into a school and a parent walks in and says, oh, my child needs something, you know? Right, right. But they have a document that says, you know, simple things like, Put this child close to the teacher. Mm-hmm. Don't put this child next to somebody who talks a lot. Don't you know? Right. Really simple things. Give this child extra time. Uh huh. Have them alone in a room to take a test. Read the test to them. Mm-hmm. Things like that. That if you don't have special education training, it's not reasonable for the parents to expect that they would think of those things. Absolutely. And parents probably are just not sure when they're going abroad if the people will automatically do those things. What I've really learned in being a speech therapist and uh, now duly certified as a BCBA for the past 10 years is that not everybody is going to automatically do things the way that I do them. So it's really great to have that documentation to say this is what's really needed because you followed an assessment process, you followed guidelines that are individualized to that student. And that's really, really a nice starting point for people who potentially are moving abroad. So I think that's so great that you're offering those services. The last question that I always ask people is, we're kind of wrapping up here. It's so interesting to hear about your journey. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. Is what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about supporting their students? Um, You know, I try to be really sensitive to parents because we have, parents have so much on their plate, everything from, you know, parents who might stay home to full-time working parents. But being involved to a point where your child knows it's valuable to you too. And that doesn't mean being involved all the time but practicing a skill with them, letting them know they're doing a good job. I think that's really one of the most important things parents can do. And like I said, some parents will be so involved. Mm-hmm. And I don't even mean like overly involved. I mean, they know what's going on in the, in the sessions and they practice. To other parents who, you know, talk to the kid about what they did. Talk Mm -hmm. to the kid about what's important. So talk to your kids and find out what's going on. And I know if you have a language impaired child, that's tough sometimes. Um, But I do want to encourage you to be involved at their level and to whatever level is comfortable for you. Yeah, I love that. So great. Um, Thanks so much for joining us today. And where can people find you? What is your uh, website for your company? Well, thanks again. And we are www.worldwidespeech.com. 
Awesome. Make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.